Wanamaker podcast for Thursday, August 26th, 2021, otherwise known as National Toilet Paper Day. And actually, I'm going to I'm going to say it should be called National Toilet Paper Bidet. Oh, it to that. I see That's what you did That's a real conflict there. of interest, Chris. I feel like one's at the one is always one That's is true. always opposing the other. One reduces the demand well, of yeah, the you other. Yeah, you could still you could still dry your tush maybe with a little toilet paper. Let me be a hundred percent honest. I've never used a bidet in my life. I never have either, but I really would like to. I mean, it feels like the upper echelons of like high high society. Yeah. You know, like once you've done that, you've maybe you haven't made it, but you're well on your way. It's I'm more of a pressure washer of kind of guy. Yeah. more of a pressure washer get guy. out on the driveway <laughs> that that would be a really funny unnecessary inventions it's just like it's like a full-on jerry-rigged uh pressure washer to the toilet yeah like a super powered bidet just for those big oh, daddies <laughs> uh well i actually think it should just be official four days after my birthday day okay hey what birthday what number are we i'm 26 now we're both august birthdays i am 43 Boom. So I was exactly, yeah, 43, like uh, getting up there, still still going strong. Hey, I don't know what to say, man. We've had a week off. Lots been happening. I'll kick it off. Okay. Okay. So on the maker side, been doing more of the projects with recycling rims, been balls deep in epoxy, really sort of experimenting with the epoxy and glass stuff, still on the sort of small scale scale project kind of front but it took a a long weekend this weekend and went down to la to see andrew schultz's uh, comedy show mike also (laughs) popped in for for the evening and wow it was was quite the the event they rented like i mean they sold out four shows in two nights two thousand people each show so they probably brought in like 400, 500 grand in the weekend and they were really pulling out all the stops. They did uh, – they made like this grand appearance in these like low riders with hydraulics. Bruce Buffer was there to do the intros. It mm-hmm. was just like over the top, over the top kind of stuff. But it was a lot of fun to kind of uh, socialize and hang out a little bit and, and hang out with the whole crew since we've been uh, kind of collaborating with them for a really long time. And yeah, it's it's also really interesting. They're kind of in this thing where comedy is really big right now and they're trying to figure out how to make it different when they do these big shows than just typical stand up comedy. And it's it's something I think we can all relate to is that. You know, Chris is kind of shifting different video formats. Mike's always trying new stuff. And it's just interesting to see that pretty much anyone that's in their kind of media space is constantly thinking about how to evolve it and take things one step farther. Yeah. What do you have any inclination as to why is it just to like give the audience something better? Is it that they're bored with it? Just want to try something new? I think it's that like stand-up comedy is normally so like kind of hipster focused. It's in these small dark rooms. But when you're in a theater and the Orpheum Theater is like grandiose and like old world. I think it's from, you know, like the 1920s or something like that Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. It's it's definitely an old building, but it's all gilded and and really ornate and, and pretty impressive. But it has that old world feel. 
and they just did a lot of stuff with like to just kind of raise the energy and when you when you're in like a comedy club of like a hundred people and it's kind of like like a diner right like you don't you don't expect the big theatrical stuff you expect it just be a guy in there kind of shabbily dressed kind of just being witty and it's like understated hipster coffee and cigarettes kind of a vibe but when you go to these bigger venues and they're kind of working their way up to arenas, you have to kind of fill in that space because it won't feel like a diner kind of intimate venue feel right. when you're in this big, big uh, ballroom type thing. And so I think it's like I think it's interesting. I think it's the same sort of challenges when we started going to longer videos is that it just can't be the same stuff for longer. You have to kind of work in new little types of segments to kind of keep the the energy up and things like that and i've been to a lot of stand-up comedy shows in in big venues and they felt just like scaled up small versions of things and this was you know radically different and yeah it was and i've, and I've heard them perform quite a few times but it was it was kind of a different experience and a lot of fun well what did they do difference for the audience yeah yeah. And no, I'm asking like for the audience listening, what did they do different? So there was for this our like audience, like, right, I mean, not their audience for, I mean, for their audience, but for our audience it, to understand, as it relates what did to they our audience, they did like <laughs> professional wrestling style entrances with just a lot of like lights and theatrics. So there's three comics performing. And then between every comic performing, there was like a high energy kind of transition. Okay. And then they ended it all with like a sing along. So everyone's just like the whole crowd's holding up their their phones, which I guess is the new lighter now thing officially. <laughs> and did like some high energy kind of like a sing along stuff, which on paper is not something I'd be into, but kind of hanging out backstage, it was it was pretty dope. Yeah, it's cool. It's always neat whenever like the homies level up, like whether it's in our crew, literally in the builder sphere or anywhere else. Anytime you like level up and handle that, it's cool seeing that because you always get to learn from the people around you. And yeah, it was interesting them trying to fill up 2000 people or bring that atmosphere and that vibe up. And yeah, I feel like the tricks are like stealing elements from music concerts, working those elements in just to get the energy up just so everyone can feel like just the buzz together. Cause you can get a really big buzz out of more than a thousand people that I imagine just isn't possible when you're talking about a few hundred. And right. uh, yeah, it was just awesome to see cause they're just holding it down. Like they're leveling up, but everything feels natural. The shows are better than the other comedy shows that I've really seen. So yeah, they got a tight crew. It's a lot like us in the way that we keep a tight circle and everybody boosts, boosts each other up in a really neat way. So, yeah, it was awesome hanging out with the crew. And I hadn't been in L.A. for, yo, I hadn't been in L.A. since the lockdown. It's yeah. dirty. Anyone that wants to know, it's dirty. Yeah. <laughs> we had a good time. We were uh, stationed up at the Ace Hotel, which has always been kind of one of my spots. And it's right downtown and kind of near the Arts District. Right. A lot of good kind of like vibey places to hang out and yeah, a lot of a lot of late nights, a lot of drinking, and a whole lot of shenanigans. Yeah, I was only down there for one night, but I was feeling the pain the next day. Either way, ton of fun and always worth it. But so, Mike, you got to hang out with Bruce Buffer a little bit. Yeah, I saw you Good picture taking. Oh man, chatting him up. Okay, Ben, I'm not playing this up. I was like starstruck. I was actually starstruck, wasn't I? You know, we've been around a lot of like kind of 
high profile people, whether it be sort of musicians and stuff like that. The one guy you got really excited about was when we were at a party with Anderson Pac. Oh, Anderson Pack. Yeah, yeah, he's legit. But I think Bruce Buffer was like the most kind of like shy <laughs> that I see. Like, OK, everyone Dude, knows I held it down. Mike okay, is go. not shy, but he was kind of like I could see him sort of like planning the approach to Bruce because, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he's also the type of famous that people want the selfie with him. And that's all right. It's not like no one thinks that like Bruce Buffer is going to be this really interesting guy to talk to. He's almost more just like a hood ornament that in human form. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he's so iconic for such a short amount of performance. But right. that performance is always the prelude to something really big that you're excited to see. So he looks exactly how you would expect him to look. He dresses exactly how you expect him to dress. He has the arm candy with him. That's exactly what you would expect. Yes, sir. And he's kind of like cocky and tan and. But but, still a really chill dude, like not playing it up too much. And anyways, long story short, you're right. I was excited. I saw him from across the room. We found out that he was showing up like a few hours earlier. They got the green light that he was going to be able to make it. I see him from the across room I'm like, oh, dang, that's Bruce Buffer. Because I've been a bit I've been a big fan of the UFC since like I, I really don't know the number, but around like Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell, like OGs. And he's just the best in the game. Like no one can announce anyone like Bruce Buffer can. And so I see him from across the way. And I'm like, holy cow, how cool is that? I looked a little too hard and I caught his eye and I didn't even know what to do. I just waved at him from like 20 (laughs) feet away. Like I just raised my right arm and waved like a 12 year old. (laughs) Anyways, he gave me like a nod back and I was like, well, could have handled that better. I'm going to play it cool. So I sat back and I let everybody do the fan thing like, oh, gosh, Bruce Buffer, let me get a picture and then go off like exactly Ben was describing. So I let all those people kind of do their little swarm. And then I was just chilling and like we were making a drink or something like that. And Bruce and the chick that he was with, who ended up being super nice, we're all like pouring drinks, hanging out. And I gave him like eight opportunities to like wrap up the conversation because I don't want to be like that guy. You want to be anchoring down. Right. And so I'm I'm giving him like just an easy out. But he's continuing a conversation by either asking me a question or just like kind of going a little long, leading to another topic. And so. We just sat back, chit-chatted for a solid 20, 30 minutes, and it was dope. Later, Andrew was like, thank you for babysitting Bruce for me. And I said, dude, you have no idea the favor you did for me. So it is great. (laughs) So from my perspective, I was watching it, and he's the kind of guy that's kind of like reading the room, and he's trying to figure out who are the power players, right? And he's been in a lot of rooms with a lot of people because he's always announcing these big shows. It was funny to see how confused he was by Mike and the way sort of Mike was dressed in this room. Because I held it down. Let me sort of paint the picture for (laughs) you. Can I guess what he was dressed in? Yeah, get him in a guess, Chris. Okay, (laughs) Levi's and a white t-shirt. I put on the boots boots. so I was an extra inch taller, too. Oh, nice. Okay, so, you know, it's not like it's a formal environment, but everyone's kind of dressed in more kind of streetwear. All the performers are kind of in their kind of like gaudy kind of, you know, Versace type shirts and they're they're going to put on a flamboyant show. Right. Then there's a lot of other kind of agents and people like that that are dressed real slick. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of got like a like a vibe that's very urban and entertainment. 
and you know it's like totally multicultural it's like a s- super diverse environment people from all over the world all walks of life right like but all sort of coming combined into this this show mike walks in like just sunshine and happiness just like hey everybody i'm mike like uh, <laughs> but he looks way too confident to just to be like this he's sort of dressed working class but right all the working class people there don't look like mike he's got like great hair he's all clean and freshly pressed like he's I super got cool tattoos right <laughs> whoa where it's like all the old roadies are all sort of like you know kind of heavy boys in like dickies and stuff like that so he kind of is standing out and mm. and you could tell that bruce was just trying to be like are you someone that i should know like why why are you here like what am i missing like you don't have enough flair to be like some tiktok influencer and things like that he kind of knew that you were something in in the kind of influencer kind of business but he couldn't sure. quite put his put his finger on and he I'll was asking other, he was asking uh, he asked tj who's schultz's manager what does that guy do? Oh, <laughs> no way. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was his answer? I got to know who I am to Bruce now. He builds stuff on YouTube. And, like, <laughs> and Bruce is like, I'll take oh, that. that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was cool. No, we, because yeah, I mean, I hold down a conversation with anybody really well the first time we meet. And so we just got along super great. And I was just asking him a lot of really good questions that I was really curious about. I'm like, what, which fighter? Because there are some fighters that are really in the zone. They are here to fight somebody else, and it's cool that they're getting their name announced, but they're not really paying attention to it. Other right. fighters grew up watching the UFC and know how dope it is that Bruce Buffer is still announcing fights and that they get to be announced by him because he didn't even announce every card. And so when fighters are really hyped, they'll like dab him up. Uh, like TJ Dillashaw will just like yell in his face. Like they will gas each other up if uh, like if the fighter is down, but Bruce will like never put it on a fighter to do that. And so I was just like asking him stuff and TJ Dillashaw was one of the people that he was like, yeah, TJ is always excited. I was like, hey, if it's the EPO or just him, I don't care because he's getting <laughs> excited. But yeah, so I was just asking him some questions that like it was obvious that I wasn't just watching Conor McGregor cards. You know what I mean? Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mike's in deep. Hey, I would gotcha. have thought he, he probably would have thought you were like somebody who plays a construction worker on TV or something. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a contractor. Yeah. From central casting. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. But it was a ton of fun, man. LA was super busy, though. It's popping. Everything's getting back to normal. It was really cool to see. Yeah, it was it was a good times. So other than that, Mike, what have you been, what you got going on back in the Joshua Tree arena? I've got big content coming out this week that I'm excited to share. So we first, love big content. I, big content. That's all I know. Energy. Big Last pharma, episode. big content. <laughs> See, no, no. See, I had this talk this weekend too. But we don't have it publicly. We don't have it on the air. We don't have these conversations on the air. <laughs> they get people deplatformed. Okay, here we go. Let's keep moving. Yeah, this week I started a closet renovation for the bedroom makeover. And that video is live. If you're watching this video, that video is up. I released a deuce, but I did not Ooh, drop this deuce on drop. Modern Builds. I split it up. I put one video on Modern Builds. It is this big DIY bedroom renovation. And when I say DIY, I really wanted to take myself seriously. I did this entire thing with only a circular saw, an impact driver, and like sanders. I didn't use a table saw. I didn't even use like a router or anything complicated. But I got what I think is a really, really crazy impact 
considering the materials and the tools that I was using. And apologies for kind of losing my voice. So that video is coming out on Modern Builds and then on the Extra Space Storage YouTube channel, who happens to be sponsoring the video for the bedroom. I'm also releasing a full dedicated tutorial for the bed in that room since it's just a whole nother project and there is already 30 minutes worth of renovation happening in my video. So I'm dropping two videos, but not on the same channel. Everybody go check them out. Just find the one on mine and I'll be sure to link to the other one. Both of them are killer videos. One just happens to be going on their channel, but it's edited and everything exactly the same. So that's fun. And then I'm working on a closet makeover inside of the space. So my idea is I'm doing a his and hers, but I'm a single guy. And 90% of the time I wear exactly what we were just talking about, a white t-shirt, jeans, and shoes or boots. But I do have like a dozen outfits that aren't white shirts. And so I thought it would be neat just for me, just for like, yeah, just for like the caricature of modern builds, like have like the uniform closet on one side. And then on the other, I saw like my neat shoes and all my like graphic tees. I just thought it would be silly, but The big idea in it is just making it real modular. In the bedroom renovation, I did a really big pegboard wall. And pegboard walls are really cool because, I mean, depending on what size dowel you use, you know, you can get pretty sturdy shelves. They hold 20 pounds, no problem. 25 pounds, no problem. But everybody knows what happens in a closet. Things get stuffed and things break. So instead of pegboards, I am doing French cleats. I'm lining the back of the closet with plywood and doing a French cleat on that plywood every 18 inches, every 24 inches. And hopefully the grain really helps those French cleats disappear as well. Hopefully they all kind of blend out. And then when it comes to all of the organizers, all of the shelves, the racks, Aside from a closet rod going down the going down the thing, everything will be modular. So if you're somebody that values full length closet rod storage, that's awesome. You could shift all of your bins and all of your racks to one side. And if you're somebody that doesn't care about that at all, like I am, and I want more room to like fold jeans and stuff, I could use all of my lateral space and not even have full length hanging because I got no need for it. So it's just a a good solid DIY and hopefully it can just suit whoever, wherever, and maybe even people can build some unique organizers and bins and sort of add on to the idea and kind of take it further than I do in my video. And it's going on the extra space storage channels. So only the bed is going on that video, but the closet renovation I'm working on now, that'll actually be sponsored by 3M. Big sponsor, but it's for painter's tape and I'm going to be doing a little bit of custom paint. But yeah, that's about it. What are you guys working on? Chris, what do you got? So I I suck again because by the... Okay, so what? This comes out on Thursday. (laughs) So on Thursday, that freaking set of plans will officially be out. So I'll have washed my hands of it and then (laughs) I can move on. But I'm, I'm basically moving on already, but it'll officially be up then. But then what I'm working on next... I can't talk about, but I'll just drop some little hints here. So we will have a challenge coming up very soon. So I'm going to be starting my project for that. So the official announcement will come out and then we'll start talking about it specifically as soon as they make the announcement, but it's with Rockler again, obviously a a whole new theme. I think this is going to be the most interesting theme that we've had. Most flexible. 
most flexible, most, I think it's going to lend itself to probably the most unique. I mean, not that the other ones didn't, people found a way to make unique projects, but this one is just inherently going to have a lot of like unique, weird, probably kind of um, projects that people are going to build. So big, we'll announce, I'll oh, go for the, it. The big difference is the hashtag is going to be more important in this one because the projects in some of the last ones, you could sort of you're scrolling through Instagram, you can see, oh, that's a bent plywood project. Chances are it's for the bent wood challenge, right? Or if you see uh, something made out of one sheet of plywood, kind of get the sense of of where we're going with that. I think with this one, the way we're sort of structuring it, it's more about a broad idea of usage. So yeah. we're going to see a lot of different variations across. Right. So... I've got my pro. I know what I'm going to build, but I'm not sure how I'm going to build it yet. So I do still need to figure that out, but I'm excited and anxious to build it because it's going to be definitely something different than I've ever built before. So but I think it's going like to be really fun to have. Wheel. No, not a shoe <laughs> wheel. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, Chris, if there was any time for the shoe wheel, it I would honestly be this. What Zip in it? the heck? Zip it. No. You're dropping the ball. No, I'm not going to give anything away, no. but you realize that it's with the shoes. challenge we're doing, no. the shoe wheel is perfect. That's the right. only hit. Hey, is it shoe related getting. at all out of my own curiosity? My project is not shoe related at okay. all. Okay, great. I don't want to know anything else. Okay, so then, um, yeah, so the official announcement for that should come sometime in mid-September. And then it's going to run. I'm not sure exactly when, but we're going to give people plenty of time, just like we did last year. You know, probably probably about as long as last year's was. Maybe not uh, a little bit longer than the first two or three were. I can't remember. Those ones are a little shorter. Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get it kicked off. And have you guys thought about what you're going to build yet? Yes, I've got mine and I'm really pumped for it. It's a project that's been on the list, but hasn't had uh, the like reason, reason to get done. And so this is hopefully exactly what it is for other people. Like it's the reason to do that thing that's probably on their list. Right. This it's kind probably, of feels like that for me. I think when people hear the topic they won't have to search for the idea. I think a lot of people will have the idea and they will have been wanting to make it for a while. I think so too. Yeah, I think that'll be the coolest part of it. And maybe I'm totally wrong, but Ben, is that where you're at? Like, do you kind of know? So I have like four ideas and they're all fun. Some of them are harder to do than others. So it's going to depend on sort of time and stuff like that. But uh, I really like this topic. I'm it's funny it's like after we do a challenge I'm like you know wow that was amazing and then like you get back to sort of normal routine and then all of a sudden you're like oh we haven't done one in a while all right yeah it goes uh, quick let's start gearing up and you start getting the questions on Instagram hey when's the next Rockler challenge so one shout out to Rockler I'm really glad that we have some consistency with this thing and if it wasn't for them, we probably wouldn't always, you know, do these as frequently because, to be honest, we all just get swamped with our day-to-day, -day, yeah. you know, schedules and all the stuff we're trying to get done. And so, it's easy for us to kind of lose track of time and then next thing you know, it's been almost two years since we've done one. But shout out to Rockler for kind of kicking it off and being like, hey, we do another challenge. So, really appreciate that. It's It's such a fun thing. It's such a great – there's so many people – that I discover with each one of these challenges. There's, I think like probably 
I would say probably 20% of the people I follow on Instagram are from these challenges. I, yeah, I follow no a lot of people. I'm following like 4,000 people. And I would say, yeah, probably like 800 of them are people that have submitted rock or challenges. And when that does is like, you know, one, it gives you a context for what, how they're making something relative to the group. So you see how they're part of the overall community, but then you also see how their individual take on design and making stands out from the community. And that's exactly the thing that, that convinces you to click that follow button. So clean those shops, empty that uh, dust collection system, stock up on materials, and let's go. This one, this is going to be the best one ever. No doubt. Agreed. And we want to give a big thanks to Rockler, who's not a sponsor of today's episode, but we're about to give a huge thank you to Sawstop, who is the sponsor of what we've been up to. And Sawstop just makes awesome and safe table saw. Between the three of us, I don't know how many fingers we have, but I'm pretty sure it's 30. You know why? It's correct. Because we use Sawstop. We haven't cut any of them off or any portions of them. Stay away from those nasty fractions. You don't want fractional fingers or fractional digits. <laughs> no, you want, you want full to keep digits. It, you want to keep it a legit 10. And Sawstop helps you keep it 10. Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot right here. You're a tool guy. You like gear. Give me a reason that Sawstop is cool. Give me something that they do that's fun. You mean above the obvious? So it could I be think obvious. That, I don't know. Well, so I think that when before I had one, like I always assumed that it was just like whatever. It's it's any normal saw, but it just has this safety feature. But they actually do a lot of engineering that goes into other things, and even without that factor, it would be you know, among the best table saws out there. And then obviously that's the icing on the cake. So I think I even talked about it before, but like with the job site, that functionality, like just, well, first off, just how nice the stand works, like how easily it goes from rolling to set up and how they have like the one turn on the handle that raises the blade from below the table saw all the way to the very top, the way you can like fine tune the, um, the angle of the blade. There's a lot of extra little niceties that I wouldn't say that they didn't have to put in, but they probably could have got away with doing the bare minimum and they didn't. What I like is the innovation. So when you start a product through innovation, you tend to keep going on innovation. Whereas if you're a legacy brand, you kind of just keep doing what you're already doing. Tesla is a great example. Tesla is doing so many things that other car companies are, are, aren't doing because they're new. They come out with a better platform and then they just keep going like, oh, Let's just keep adding. We're we're in the process of not just making old cars. We're we're making the next version of the futuristic cars that we've all wanted. I in my parents' wood shop, we have a Powermatic. It's a fine table saw. It's an expensive table saw. But it just feels like you know what people say like, oh, older tools are better. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel like they've added anything new. It feels like they're afraid of those. You know how like a lot of people that are kind of hardcore. They like don't want anything to change. Oh, they changed that to plastic. I hate that feature. I don't need that kind of sliding thing. And I get that. And those are the people that should buy and refurbish old tools. But I'm not one of those people. I want new and innovative shit. So when I look at sort of the, the saw stop I have versus the Powermatic that I use when I'm at my parents' house, the Powermatic's, it's good quality. There's these big, heavy cast iron things. But a lot of that cast iron that's all machined down, 
isn't really giving you any value. It's just making a heavier tool that's not adding functionality. It's not modular. It's difficult to sort of, you know, add out feed tables and things like that. And you look at what sort of uh, SawStop's doing with, and I have like the, you know, the one with the sort of sliding tracks and all that. Everything just works. It's aluminum. It's gliding. It's lightweight. It's easy to attach to different attachments. Couldn't be happier with it. And I'm not even in my new big shop yet where I'm going to get the, you know, the full on maxed out panel saw or right on, a cabinet yeah. saw. Yeah. So this went a little longer than expected, but that's what happens when you get an authentic brand read. Sorry. Good talk. Links will be down <laughs> in the description. As always, check out a saw stop. If you need a table saw, there's really no other one to buy. So just check them out. If nothing else. Thanks, saw stop. I feel like there was kind of ad read slash just conversation. I know. That's kind of why I was kind of like, yeah. eh, authentic. You know, that is yeah. what it is. That's just how we do it here on the Modern Maker Podcast. All right. So today we're going to talk about opportunities because we have one for our listeners. So as we've talked about before, all three of us are invested and involved with Semi-Exact. And they came out to us and said, hey, how would you guys create some sort of like maker in residence program? We know that there's so much talent out there. There's a lot of people that are kind of part time posting a lot of stuff, building a, a lot of stuff. And how do we kind of, as semi-exact, kind of take a leadership position in this sort of maker community? And so they kind of threw out some ideas. We kind of vetted them and they came out with a maker program. There's a link to it in the description of this podcast. But basically, for kind of people that are kind of getting started in the kind of maker influencer game, they'll send you products, they'll feature your stuff on their channels, they'll help promote you and... I think probably the most fun part, they'll fly you out to Minden, Nevada, the factory where me and Mike have spent some time and uh, you can get a tour. You can work on some designs if you have some ideas for new products that they could manufacture. And there's some other pretty cool business opportunities associated. So to apply, you just click the link in this podcast. But what I want to sort of talk about as a broader kind of uh, topic was what are some of the opportunities, what were some of the big opportunistic moments in your guys' sort of career? And what were some of the ones you that you were glad you accepted? What were some of the ones that didn't work out so well? And what are the ones that you, some of the ones that you turned down that you ended up either being happy about or a little, getting a little FOMO? I mean, I feel like the, Ooh. the, Chris, the biggest, hear, most yeah, obvious go, one for me would just have to be so I, I've talked about it on here before, but remember we did the 100th episode live and we did it at a place here in Uptown Whittier called Local Fixture. And at so that's owned by a guy named Jason who I, my wife knew him a little bit from work, like they had crossed paths at work. And so she recommended that, hey, reach out to Jason from Local Fixture. He'd, he'd probably host you guys. I know they have an event space. So we did. I met him through that and we became friends. And that's how I ended up at this warehouse. Initially, he was in this warehouse and he was just kind of like tangentially interested in the space. Obviously, he was, you know, no professional interest or anything like that. He was just interested in it. He actually had Ben's book from before he knew who I was. I remember, I think they even like sold it at the oh, shop yeah. there. So it's a great book. It's a good book. I can't read, but I've, I've heard good things. So yeah, that was just like one of those kind of like <laughs> random opportunities. And I'll often think of like, where would I be right now if not for that 
chance encounter and opportunity that came about because of it. I'm sure I still would have gone full time yeah. and things would have happened, but there's no way I'd be where I am right now. Like there's just no way that it would have worked out like that. How would I, how would it have? So yeah, I mean, that's always the first one that pops into my mind. What's like the gut reaction one that pops into your guys' mind? Yeah. Cause well, what we were saying, it reminds me too, cause it's like your shop, your workspace, all the people that you're building and filming with, it was the sort of first domino that led to so many things that made you right. be in the unique position that you are. You wouldn't have stayed in your garage though, right? You would have done something. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm sure I'd be somewhere, but I just can't imagine it would be here and that it all would have played out the same no, way. No, But you saw the opportunity realized that the downside wasn't that big of a deal at the time and went for it? Was that maybe well, it? Like, how'd you weigh your options? Like, yeah. what makes an, uh, an opportunity worth going for or not worth going for? I mean, I think for me, so it, it was kind of the nudge that I needed to say, like, I'm going to quit my job and Ooh. do this. It was, it was um, you know, I was already talking about it. I was already thinking about it. And I'm sure it would have happened in the next six months. But rather than waiting another six months, it was like, okay, well, th this opportunity is here right now. So let's go. So for it. ironically or paradoxically, taking on more responsibility was the thing that was helpful, like taking on this lease instead of saying, like, I want to quit my job. So I want to have less expenses. I want less overhead. Well, I'm going to give myself more of a, you know, an opportunity to rise up. Well, to. you know what I mean? I think the opportunity wouldn't have come if we didn't do the event. And we didn't really need to do the event. There was no financial interest in doing the thing. No, it, was it was basically a, for fun. For fun. And yeah. what I think is really interesting about Chris's story is that from just like a, a basic business standpoint, we're all most efficient when we just keep our heads down, make the content, post the content, cash the check, build the audience, keep going. But sometimes doing things like those kind of community events you could never have predicted that because we held that thing, that's where your shop is going to be. And then you went from being kind of a minority tenant in that space to being the kind of major tenant in that space. And I think that's how right. everything I've done in my career, there's been a lot of strategy, but so much of what actually happens is completely unpredictable. I mean, even how we all ended up in Joshua Tree wasn't like part of some master plan. It was just sort of Oh, here's the rope of opportunity. You keep pulling. Oh, this makes sense. Oh, look at look at these things that are on the end of this rope. That's great. Let's pull harder. <laughs> and the Ooh, next piece thing, of candy. Yeah. yeah, actually, have you ever talked like how did Joshua Tree kind of become the thing? I remember you were I, looking at I like gonna buy old abandoned church churches and all that kind of stuff. I had yeah, put right, the deposit down on this massive brick church from like the 1800s in Cleveland downtown right near the the stadium or the, the arena and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's when the deal finally went through with Home Depot to build the shipping container house. And I just decided they wanted me mm. to do it in outside of Atlanta and I want to do it in Joshua Tree. So I bought the <laughs> land in Joshua Tree and, and moved out and then uh, hit up my boy, Mike from Modern Builds. And uh, yeah. he came out to do the bus. So well, I, I had always gone. Uh, had always the come idea of Joshua Tree like in it had like been on the radar and or? pretty much on with my college friends. Okay, and we would take mushrooms and uh, go rock climbing and do a lot of cool stuff. And it, I just thought it was a cool environment. I knew the land was pretty inexpensive. Like Jim Morrison. And one of my other maker friends, Christian Dunbar, 
was thinking about moving to Palm Springs and getting a, a wood shop in Joshua Tree. So we'd kind of looked at the sort of real estate in that space. And when Home Depot sort of suggested the shipping container house idea mm-hmm. uh, or when it was approved, I was like, let's do it in Joshua Tree. And so that's when I sort of moved from Boston here. And it was originally just supposed to be I didn't even want to sign a year long lease here because I thought I was just going to be here six to eight months, get done, go back to Boston and back to business as usual. But just kept pulling that thread and more opportunities seem to emerge out here. And it's it's been a blast. Now, me, Mike, Rachel, Brett, Jesse, we got kind of the full crew and we're meeting a lot of the local people out here. That are, and there's some some pretty talented uh, local makers. I think one of the 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 reasons why I think I want to bring up this topic is strategy is important, but randomness also matters. There's so many people that you meet at like a place like WorkbenchCon that you don't really think anything of it, and then you look a year later and you're like, oh wow, they're they're really good. And I remember I had a good conversation with that person, and you can reach out and ask a question or things like that from. Even with like how I became friends with Schultz is I saw him post something. I DM'd him and said, hey, that was really cool. I've gone through some similar things. And this is my sort of take on sort of YouTube as a platform. That one DM turned into a huge opportunity. We worked together on a bunch of stuff. We got some big uh, sort of business things in the work and are going to keep sort of, you know, kind of growing our businesses uh, side by side and, and doing some fun collaborations along the way. So I think the you know, people are looking for opportunities, but I almost think that you almost have to have like an attitude that's just kind of like positive and productive. And if you have that and you're kind of fun, if you're seen as sort of fun and useful, meaning that you have like a good attitude and people sort of respect that you can actually contribute and not just be silly, it seems like they kind of just keep popping up for you. Yeah. What you just said reminded me of some Mike wisdom I shared. And I say Mike wisdom as a joke because I know that it's just some shit that I've learned. Lay the wisdom on us, Michael. Yeah. It's like recent discoveries of a young adolescent man. It shouldn't, it's not real Mike wisdom, but anyways. I almost think you say Michael's um, wisdom because it sounds more wise. Wow. Maybe I should. (laughs) I was in my Instagram stories archive and a couple of weeks ago was like three weeks or three years after we had gone to New York and we're hanging out with Gary Vee and kind of doing a little thing with him for a week, building some stuff for a couple of his offices and whatnot. And it was a really cool experience. And, you know, you learn everything from any, you, you learn things from people that are doing stuff and it was a cool opportunity. And after I posted it, I had a lot of people that were like, awesome. How'd you do that? Blah, blah, blah. And so after I kind of made a story where I was saying, Hey, Mike wisdom, Don't go hunting for opportunities. Just be prolific and things will hopefully kind of just manifest. But don't go hunting them because the person that's thirsty, like looking for opportunities, is the person that the person with the opportunities to give does not want to give them to. Because like if you've done the work, then that just speaks for itself. And then you notice you know, you get people's attention that way rather than getting people's attention by like hollering about what you are able to do or what you could do. Just do stuff and people will notice. So that was the mic. Stitch that on a doily. Yeah. I don't know where that's at, (laughs) but what you were saying was just, it kind of reminds me of that where if you're doing your thing, you're staying in your lane and you're prolific, 
hopefully that leads to success and then your le- your success and then your success will hopefully lead to people noticing them noticing will hopefully lead to cool connections being made but you can't skip all the in between like you can't make real genuine connections unless everybody's kind of mutually respecting each other and you can't get too excited about things too right like the same way you don't want to be too pessimistic and a buzzkill and just not fun to be around you can't be too giddy and too over the top we all know people that like you you meet them and they're oh my God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and this and this. And they're laying it all out there. And then you see them like a year later and none of that stuff has happened, right? Or they're kind of like overselling an idea or they get just, you know, like a, I think you can really tell like the vets in the game because they'll get like an inquiry from a production company and they just don't tell anybody because they know it's not going anywhere. We're kind of like the newbie, the, the more newbies. And look, my I myself was guilty of that. When you get like first contacted by like a production company or a network or something, you're like telling your friends and family, oh, yeah, I got hit up by like such and such a HGTV and this and that. And you don't you think it's an opportunity, but it's actually not. (laughs) It's a lot of them are kind of worthless. Now, yeah, what's difficult is you get you you waste some time responding to those emails, right? Or taking those meetings or traveling out and shooting a sizzle reel or sending them some clips of your content, you know, and it could be something from just taking a couple hours for a meeting to spending 30 hours or four or five days to shoot a sizzle reel for them that goes nowhere. And afterwards, you can look at those same type of emails that are coming in and just dismiss them because you struck out once or you spent time and it didn't go anywhere. I think that's the really hard part is to actually know what is the good opportunity. How how do you sort of put in the filters so you're not wasting time? But here's a good example of something that happened to me the the other day. And it's still – this is playing out as we speak. So I get a DM from someone saying, oh, I'm the head of human resources for a very big film studio. And I'm like – but it's like not – it's not a verified account and I've gotten, did they use the term a very big or were they specific? It says about the one? studio in her okay. title. You're just saying a very Ben's big. under a non-disclosure agreement, but apparently. it's a private account. And <laughs> you already said, it's like, why would they be DMing me on Instagram? Like, and I get so many kind of bullshit messages from people. In some cases, people just straight up spamming and not really saying things, but I still try to, to, to filter through to things. And I had to think about how am I going to word this? Cause I need to get some sort of like proof of credibility and legitimacy, but I also don't want to come across like my first, I don't want my first impression back to be like very skeptical and cynical. Like, Oh, sure you are. So, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, I'd really prefer, you know, try to do my inbound offers via Gmail. So could you just uh, send me an email to this? And I also didn't want to give her my email that I use primarily for business. Cause then it's like, if she is a scammer, you don't want them to have your email. You're going to be getting a lot of annoying Viagra ads. So I gave her like, you know, the kind of business email that's then filtered through to my Gmail account. And it turned out to be totally legit. Then. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, it's this major CEO. He wants a conference table in his office and wants me to sort of design and build it. Then it becomes like price negotiations kind of a thing. 
and this is another, I think, big part of opportunities where she's sort of pitching me on, oh, it's this great opportunity. He's this very powerful man in the entertainment industry. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that so many times, but it's like I'm not trying to do that kind of stuff. He doesn't work at Netflix, so not really particularly useful to me there. I'm not looking to make feature films anytime soon. But at the same time, there's been so many people that have been useful in my career that it wasn't obvious how. And in general, if you just become a, a useful person to be around, I'm always surprised at how I get pulled into things that, you know, technically I probably don't deserve from a skill set standpoint. So it's like a really tricky thing where it's like, okay, you want to price this to get the job, but then also knowing that so they want a travertine coffee or a travertine conference table about seven feet by three and a half feet wide. It's a very big film studio and it's the CEO. So I'm I he's probably in the kind of like somewhere to like he makes more than five million dollars a year, right? How long of a table is this? Seven feet by sort of three and a half feet wide. So it's in his, Dang. it's the conference okay. table in his office. Good sized. Yeah. Wow. Solid stone. They want a travertine stone top. Mm. So, so it's going to be basically, you got to go to a countertop store and say you need a tabletop. I guess. So it's, it's tricky. I, I don't think I'll charge that much for it. I think I'll probably go right around like, because I can make one, I have some, I've never done a stone conference table and I would like to do one and sort of, you know, I get to learn a new process, a new ordering process for custom cut stone. So there's some benefit on the learning side for me. I think it'll be a banger video. The last time I did a big table commission that I sold, that video did really well. So I priced mm -hmm. it at 10,000, but I said it'll take me like six to eight weeks. And if they run a rush fee, it'll be an extra like 3,000. Hey, there you go. And then... Now I have to sort of figure out the sort of how much I want kind of prepaid because I have to be able to. So I think it's going to do it probably about like half the money up front. That way I can sort of order the stone and not be at risk if they, you know, I've also read some articles about this guy and he's kind of, he's kind of a hard ass, right? So, uh, you know, I could be presenting my table that I think is awesome, but he might think that it looks like dog shit and yeah, I don't want that. I'm just going to go buy one from some other place, right? So yeah, yeah. I'm trying to factor in how to make this like a great deal where their takeaway is this was an amazing experience. We liked working with Ben. We're going to, you know, I'm sure he, he's around a lot of other cool people that I'd like to meet. But at the same time, price it. So even if this is the only thing that I do with this group, it's still worthwhile. Yeah. So idea this is getting your foot in, foot in the door getting you known as the guy who makes one of a kind stuff. Right. So anytime you need some one of a kind stuff, you holler at Ben and then the price gradually continues to go up every time. Yeah. Oh, and I love that. That's great. The other reason they reached out is because of the whole sustainability angle. Like that's becoming sure. such like a big thing that they want to be able to say, Oh, and this is made. I'm like, not really sure. Travertine. That's like, you know, <laughs> sliced out of the ground and then shipped a rock from one part of the world to another is that, but uh, you know what? We'll no VOCs. We'll use uh, some plant-based simple finish <laughs> on the, the wood parts. Yeah. Just because Ben touched it doesn't make it sustainable. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Midas. Yeah, but when it does come to opportunities, you cannot be Jim Carrey. You can't be Yes Man. Right. It's 
Yeah, it, is that what that movie's it's, about? It's a fine, it's a fine yeah. line. It's, he just says yes to everything. Everyone asks him, like, you want to go skydive? Yes. You want to go ride a bike? Yes. You know, you got to know when to say no. That's right, travertine. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's funny when I when I talk to people in our space, there's sort of two camps. There's the kind of really kind of like. F- more kind of silly and optimistic people that say yes to a lot of things and that are always kind of like overworked and kind of behind schedule and and not the most organized, but they tend to have sort of a cheerful outlook. Sounds like me. And when they get a... I was going to say, you're describing When Mike. they get a, an offered, oh, come yeah. to this conference and stuff like that, their first question isn't how much you're going to pay to be, who's going? Okay, great, I'm in, right? There's other people that are kind of like always well, it has to pay this and it has to do this and it has to do, you know, well, this is my rate. This is my standard. If I'm traveling, then I also need this. Both methodologies are really great. And I think the ultimate answer for what an individual should do is that what feels the most consistent. On one hand, I see the people that are kind of really enthusiastic and that always say yes. They sometimes aren't maximizing their income relative to their opportunities but often just that enthusiasm and the fact that they're always participating and doing stuff tends to elevate them to new opportunities and then they cash in on something big. So their percentage of revenue per everything that they do might not be the best, but they still make a ton of money because they keep putting themselves in situations and a free situation here might lead to something big. The challenge with that outlook is to sort of balance that kind of like long-term home run versus like making sure you're still doing really good on like a day-to-day week-to-week basis on the more conservative side i think they get really predictable revenue but there's been so many people that are really talented that have said no to things because it just wasn't all worked out and they didn't take any risk and they kind of got squeezed out on things that actually grew up to be bigger deals so the smartest people i know aren't the most successful people i know because the smartest people I know often don't take enough risk. Yes. Put that on a doily. You don't want to be too scared, but... Don't be scared, like bro. A, I think a future episode, the idea of like generating opportunities could be a good good topic, though. Because we, we hit on it, and it, it's got my gears turning, but I know we don't have a whole other episode to record. Yeah. But we should save that. Maybe do it next week or in a couple of weeks. Boom. Just talk about like that idea, because sometimes opportunities fall in front of you. Other times they're because you put in work, but... It's a combination of both no matter what. So it's cool because if you're starting from zero, which a lot of people are, whether you're starting a business, wanting to sell things, starting content, wanting to get an audience, you got to start at zero. And just like the first 10 viewers are the hardest to find, the first kind of things to come along when there's nothing really coming along, those are the ones that you really do want to jump on. But as more opportunities come along, you've got to learn how to vet them and all of this sort of stuff. But those first few things to come along really are worth taking advantage of. I remember this is way too similar to semi exact because you brought them up earlier, Ben. The very first sponsor I have ever had was a company called Industrial by Design. They were in, they were an Amazon company. They've since sold, but they they made like sliding barn door hardware, some hairpin legs, some stuff like that. And I think I made a YouTube video featuring their legs for a hundred dollars, but. I knew that that was going to one, just teach me how to format my content so that I knew how to integrate a brand. It was a proof of concept to myself. It was a proof of concept to that brand. And I was also hoping that it was like, oh, 
maybe some brands will see some sponsored content from me and that will lead to brands reaching out, which is exactly what did happen. It was like 10 episodes after that and I never had an unsponsored video. But up until that point, no one had reached out. It was a really weird thing. Like once I took the cap off the bottle, things started flowing out. But up until that point, it was dry. And so, yeah, do the thing you know is right. Whatever, whatever the audience is getting out of that. So, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for shedding some light on opportunities. What are you guys obsessed with? I've got a couple music choices for the audience. Chris, Let's hear I really think that... You, are, you should give both of these albums a shot because you were talking right, about the it. little music exercise that you've been doing with Sean in the shop. Yeah. What am I listening to? The first artist is Still Woozy, like S-T-I-L-L-W-O-O-Z-Y. Mm-hmm. He just okay. released a new album. It'll be his re- latest release. I'm pulling it up now so I can find the name. It's If This Isn't Nice, I Don't Know What Is. Boom. 2021. It's just a great... Yeah, it's a great album for the back half of summer, honestly. It's still got that vibe, but it's still got some good musical elements happening. So check that out. And then the other recommendation is a band called Death Heaven. And this is a band Death that, Heaven? Yeah, do you know them? I've listened to them, yeah. They are like, well, they're like a very shoegazy black metal band, is how I would describe right. them. Are they like Swedish or something? Something like that. Northern European look and looking it for sure. But Death Heaven, they have a few couple of really, really great records, but they just released a new record, and I'm pulling it up now so I can have the name, and it's called Infinite Granite. So if you've heard their album Sunbather, which I think is their yep. best. American. Oh, wow. But they <laughs> I don't know why I thought they were like They definitely Swedish have the look. Something. Like all black, the leather gloves, the slicked back hair. Yeah. <laughs> if you've listened to their most popular record, Sunbather, which is a really musical metal album. It's atmospheric. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting ha- things happening time signature wise and texturally. But at the end of the day, it's still a metal album. But they have come out with a new album, like I said, Infinite Granite, where that element is almost all taken away. They're like a shoegaze, like rock band. Like if you're interested in bands like Whir, uh, like W-H-I-R-R or Nothing, uh, you'll find some things that you really like about that atmospherically. But if you're interested in bands like American Football, things that are a little bit more mathy and melodic, you will also find things that you really like in this. So check both of those records out. I'm going to check them out. And then Chris, actually check out the Death Heaven one for sure. I think you'll also like Still Woozy, but I, w- I would like like to hear your feedback. Okay. What was Still Woozy like? I know you said it was like summer vibe. Yeah, it's just a summer vibe. Like what's it comparable to? I would say it's eclectic pop music. So if you're okay. interested in, you know, like Anderson Pack, where it's, it's it's pop music, but there's a lot of funky, fun bass lines, things like that. You'll enjoy it, I think. Word. Okay, I'll listen to it. I let's see, what have I been watching lately? Actually, okay, here's some, I just started watching it, so I'm only two episodes in, and I would give it a B minus so far. So I don't know, but I'll keep watching. But did you guys watch the new Twilight Zone that came out probably like a year ago? No, it was on. It was on Paramount Plus, which used to be like CBS something. <laughs> so I, I started watching that. I, I loved like the old um, Twilight Zone episodes, like, you know, when the marathon would come on or whatever, when you're a little kid. I used to love watching those. And there are a lot of pretty bad episodes, but there are a lot of very good episodes. So I've watched like the first two and they've been 
I wouldn't say they've been like great, but they've been at least interesting. And, you know, I wanted to like see where they were going. They, they kept me entertained while I was watching them. So I'm going to keep giving it a try. I'll give it, you know, two or three more episodes and see where it goes. If it stays this good, I'll, I'll complete it. But you know, it's touch and go. It could go either way. So I don't want to look like a fool and somebody else has seen it and been like, it sucks. And here I am saying it's pretty good. But every episode kind of has its twist the same way Twilight Zone does. Like they're all standalones or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's all good. just standalone, good. you know, varying lengths, all that stuff. All right. Awesome. So I'll check that me, out as well. Let's see. Oh, I'm giving a shout out to our boy, Ben Paik from Woby Designs. Woo. His spray booth fold out thing that he made. Did you see that, Mike and Chris? Yeah. Yeah, the lift up He's thing. killing it. One, he's blowing up because of his staircases and this whole sort of shop conversion. It's funny. When he had this sort of shipping container shop, it was such a tight space. And he did a really good job of making it efficient, but I don't think it like pops off as much in terms of the content game because it's about sort of intricate puzzle piece fitting. Now that he has a little more space, he's doing these kind of really cool transformable items. The staircase did really well from him that folds out from the wall. We had a little uh, bro venting about the annoying people that complain about not having handrails. Shout out to my boy, Ben. Be strong. You know, tell the haters where to stick it. And then, uh, but he made this like fold out spray booth from the wall that I think is just fire. Yeah. Check it yeah. out on his Instagram, Woby Designs. Cool. Is it okay if I give one more shout out Go in the scene? It. We have now officially all three been on Steve Ramsey's podcast on Woodworking oh, yeah. for Mere Mortals. My conversation with him earlier today was really fun. Anytime I talk to Steve, it's always really interesting. He was the first YouTube woodway- woodworker that I saw. And so, yeah, but who's the first I, let's concrete just say worker? I was about to say, let's just say he's the Bruce Buffer of YouTube making. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ben, you were the first concrete DIY I saw. So yeah, go check out Steve Ramsey on YouTube. And I'm going to have to listen to your guys' episodes. I'm curious what y'all talked about. So thank you, everybody. for talk trash on you guys. Yeah. Oh, I did a little bit of that on y'all. So hopefully it's mutual. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Flame war. Well, if you got any topics that you guys want us to answer in our infinite wisdom sarcastically please let us know whether it's serious or not we love not serious topics especially so reach out to us send it to us on dms at instagram wow that's not how you say any of those words you can find chris at four eyes furniture you can find ben at benjamin ueda and you can find me mike at modern builds we appreciate the support times a million thanks to the sponsors and we will see you next episode on the modern maker podcast Bye, everybody. Later. Bye.